Hello, this is Catherine with Friendly Anarchism. So before we start this show, I wanted to say that there were times during the interview that I displayed bad allyship. What we're going to do with that is model one of the fundraising techniques that we talk about in the, in the interview called the Rechtsgegenrechts model, where you make oppression backfire by putting a dollar amount on every time somebody does something racist. So when we're going through the show, I'm going to be counting every time that I display bad allyship. At the end of the show, I'm going to count it up, and then all the white people in the audience pledge uh, a certain dollar amount for every time that I displayed that. Uh, suggested donation is $1. If you can't afford that, $0.25 cents or $5 or whatever it is that you'd like to do. All right, here we go. Hello, welcome to Friendly Anarchism. This is Catherine. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Aneka. I'm from a group here called the So Just Collective. All right, and what do you do? Um, mostly our work focuses on centering the people of color in our communities across multiple intersections. Um, we do a lot of awareness building in the community, and I personally try to, like, do community building and get people together like I want to start I want to start building groups within our community that can actually do real help especially to be, to help out people of color in our community. What does that look like on the ground building community like on a um day-to-day basis? What kind of actions does that entail? Um it entails groups of people to like go out and educate their friends on struggles of people of color, and it involves specifically white allies doing that legwork, because, mm-hmm. like, we already do the work of, like, having to deal with this and navigate through it every day, especially in such a ridiculously racist place like Eugene, Yeah, which not only is there, like, daily intrapersonal racist experiences but there's a whole institution and history of racism here because this being like a place with a huge huge kkk presence like um the few the buildings at u of o the building at u of o named after uh i think it was a grand wizard is that dd hall um i don't remember the name of it but i should know that because i'm also going to u of o next term <laughs> um, there was a, there was a whole thing about dd hall so i think it was yeah i think dd was the was one of the people who signed the oregon constitution into law um though but the oregon constitution was the piece of paper that was like hey black people aren't allowed to live here so yeah yeah not not great yeah, he's definitely on my shit list, even though he's been <laughs> dead for a little bit. <laughs> um, it's so interesting. People from outside of Oregon see Oregon as this like liberal haven and are surprised to find out that there is so much racism here. Um, you know, people I've heard liberal friends say that. Yeah, um, let me start again. <clears throat> like Al Jazeera came here, chose Portland and Eugene to do their story on rising hate crime in America because of how bad it is here. And people are really surprised to find that out. Like, people think that this I-5 corridor all the way up here is, like, 
very progressive and blue. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It is progressive and blue. Is But progressive and blue doesn't mean safe. Progressive and blue means um, groups of... Pro- Especially in the within the context of the politics in the United States, we are very, very, very far left. Like, even what we consider to be... Or, sorry, we're... As a country, we're very, very far right. Um, but people seem to think that whenever there's a group of people shifting a tiny bit to the left, not even, like... Not even anywhere close to the leftist part of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Just moving a tiny bit left, they consider it progressive and a big deal. And some people even consider them radicals. Which is <laughs> honestly really wild to me. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so that's the thing. Progressive and blue still upholds the United States as a violent institution because that's what it is it's a violent state Mm -hmm. um by upholding the united states they're upholding the genocide of native people and they're upholding the oppressive power structures that hold a lot of people of color down yeah so blue red i i really don't like you know those, like, pseudo-rebellious, pseudo-aware Facebook images? Like, there was Like what? Like the, um... Uh, I don't even know how to describe them. It's just, like, the ones where they, like, seem really... Like, they're trying to sound extra woke, but they're just, like, hella centrist. <laughs> like, it's, like, those, like, middle ground whatever centrist posts anyways there was one that actually resonated pretty well and it was um the right wing and the left wing belong to the same bird ah and i like that yeah it's true like but they probably meant it like we're all one yeah and then (laughs) yeah but (laughs) but yeah like yeah yeah like the u.s like it doesn't matter if you were a u.s right winger or a u.s left winger like you're still upholding a violent institution that kills people like me yeah so that's the thing like there seem they part of what i want to do is kind of deconstruct that um parallel that people draw between being a blue state and being actually progressive right because like blue doesn't mean anything it just means that people voted a certain way but like you can mark anything on a piece of paper yeah and like that piece of paper is still part of what's upholding structures that hurt people like me yeah so that's the first thing um also it's because Nobody really wants to, well, specifically white people, don't want to acknowledge the power that they've been given and the power that they've historically held, like the KKK. The KKK is just like a physical manifestation of that. Mm -hmm. It's white violence literally personified. And 
white people don't want to acknowledge that, so nobody wants to talk about that. Yeah. Because so many people are so centrist that they won't even acknowledge that these groups exist, which is part of the problem. Yeah, people think of racism and the KKK and fascism stuff as stuff that's like early 20th century and is gone now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no. They've... No. No. A lot of them have taken off their masks and... They're just here. They're everywhere. They... There were a bunch of... Actually, a bunch of police officers who were outed as Klansmen... Here? and Yeah, and nothing happened. When did that happen? Uh, I think it was about two years ago. Ah, cops. Yeah, which is a whole other story. Yeah. I'm not a fan. (laughs) No, cops are, they suck. They're bastards. They're, they're, yeah, they're bad. Um, I, yeah, I mean... People don't know. I mean, the stories are hidden and suppressed and whatever. People don't believe that there is police brutality in their own communities. It's, you know, it's like police brutality is getting more well-known in... If you're... Are you okay to talk about this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is it going to be... It's just... A, I know it's, it's a... It can be a really emotional subject. I just wanted to check Oh, in. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, with Black Lives Matter... Ex- helping expose police brutality in America, I think there's a more, a wider understanding or acceptance in some ways of the fact that it actually exists, as, you know, but I feel like everyone sees it as it's other places, you know? Yeah. Like, no and matter where kind of... you're at, it's still not there, it's other, other places. Yeah, they kind of put this buffer up. Yeah. That to separate themselves from the reality of police brutality. Like they don't they don't want to acknowledge that it happens all the time. They don't want to acknowledge that like they're part of the problem. So they just kind of put up this buffer saying like, "Oh, well, it's over there, not here." But it's a national problem because I mean, our police system literally came out of of slave catchers like the original like the purpose of the sheriff was to catch runaway slaves and And people are like what they're racist no they're not like Like, they are absolutely the found they are racist down to the core their foundation is built literally on the backs of black people and it has not changed since what the 1800s it hasn't changed at all like in the 1800s you had a slave catcher um slave would run away slave catcher would take them in force them into working and now instead of putting them on a plantation we're they're rounding up black people and putting us in prisons and forcing us to do prison labor yeah. for cents on the dollar. Yeah. So it really has not changed that much. Yeah. 
and people just don't want to acknowledge that. They don't want to acknowledge that we that there are issues that they are directly involved in, which makes sense. But are you really like they're really going to let this sense of I don't want to do have anything to do with this? They're going to let that get in the way of actual people's lives, and I think that that also ties into the dehumanization of black people and it's, and i am not one to ever disregard race so i'm definitely not disregarding race but prison there's a issue of dehumanization in of prisoners in general mm-hmm. namely because majority of the prisoners are black so it kind of makes people okay with prisoners working for cents on the dollar because I guess they've broken rules, but like there are people in prison who are there because they couldn't pay their parking tickets or like there are people in prison who like not everybody who goes to prison is a violent offender. Not everybody who goes to prison is of a danger. Most of these people are just people who couldn't pay for something. Yeah. I mean, right now in Hurricane Harvey, uh, the meme is going around again, which I'm glad to see it again, of side-by-side photos, a black kid holding food taken from a grocery store, and then a couple white people holding food taken from the grocery store, and the two headlines that go along with it. The headline said, like, one, um, uh, like... Somebody ran, like somebody looting, looting through the looting store, through and the, store. the other, the other one, one is like, like they found some food in a grocery store. Yeah, like, they they found it. Wow. So the idea is criminality doesn't have any basis in action at all. Like criminality is based just in whatever it needs to be to keep our society staying the way people like it. Yeah, and it it contributes. The people in power want to stay in power whether they know it or not. So these systems were set up so that, honestly, that a lot of these people who do hold power don't know that they hold that power. So they Mm -hmm. can't be, so nobody can challenge them on it because they don't even know that they hold it. It's pretty clever. Yeah. I mean, those... Old-ass white dudes in the 1700s may not have known what a germ was, but they managed to set up this insidious system. Yeah. So, I mean, props, I guess? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then, you know, people like to think of reform or change or that the country's getting better and better. But it's like, if you look at the very basis of the country, the country is based in the idea that the only people who are actual humans are wealthy, property-holding men. And, like, those are the people who are human and get to have rights. And it's still, that's a seed of the, ba- the of our country that's just, like, baked into the very fabric of a constitution. And as much as you can try and reform it, it seems like it'll always come back around to the seed that you planted, which is where we're at now, where who is in power? Yeah. Just a man known for his property who's white, and he literally has no other claim to that position of power. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So it's like it hasn't gone away because that's it, it can't go away because it's the basic building block 
of what made this country defi- defined how it defined itself. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of done with reform. Yeah, I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it works. Yeah, no, it's it's been you know it's been a it's been a few years. <laughs> we've been it's been trying it out. We've been trying it out for you know uh, since 1776. Yeah, hasn't been working out so well. So maybe it's time to just kind of ditch that. And... Yeah, and people say, well, things have gotten better in this way, in this way, in that way. And it's like things have gotten better for who in this way, in this way, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the only big change is now it is not entirely legal for any old person to buy me, but that's it. And... They just have to launder you. That is a low, low bar. <laughs> that is a very low bar. Yeah, that's a very low bar. Yep. Yep. And it's not even... It really is basically just, you just have to launder your slaves now. Yeah. Put them through a different hoop. Yeah. Instead of holding the deed. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. Yeah. I mean, about cop brutality here in Eugene? Um, cop brutality here in Eugene. Um, so I personally have not been brutalized by police in any of my interactions. I'm glad to hear that. I've been, I've definitely, like, been intimidated by them. Like, they have definitely used their tactics to try to intimidate me. But, thankfully, I had some great lawyers on my side. Um, I'm not going to talk about that, especially on something that's recorded. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but... Good idea. Um, it is definitely an issue here. Like, I think about a year and a half ago, um, the president of Eugene's NAACP chapter, his sister was beat down by some of Eugene police, some of Eugene's cops. Really? Yeah. So, like, it's definitely not an isolated issue like it's everywhere yeah i had a pretty shitty experience with the cops here in eugene myself um so we have a really cool um group of people called cahoots yeah i like cahoots yeah and actually i only figured this story out this story didn't make any sense to me for a long time until i had just talked to you like last weekend um so, we have Cahoots. Cahoots is who you can call for mental health crises instead of the cops, which is awesome because we need those services because cops should not be dealing with people in mental health crises. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but they're still dispatched by the police. So, you have to go through the police. Yeah. So, like, because of what happened to me, I thought Cahoots was just badly trained cops and I didn't want to call them or deal with them and I had a really, really negative feeling about them and it turns out that what actually happened is that i wasn't dealing with cahoots i was dealing with the cops because you told me that there's like because it goes through the police department there's like secret code or whatever where they they first screen to see if somebody's a threat right right okay so like what happened to me is i'm in i'm in a relationship i was going very badly (laughs) at that moment like very badly and i identify with this guy it, he's threatening to kill himself, and things are getting really bad, and he just, like, walks out of the house. And I can't calm him down. I think it, he really might. 
at that moment. Um, I'd heard about Cahoots, so I call Cahoots. I didn't realize that it was they were dispatched through the cops or whatever. And I'm just kind of, like, freaking out. And they say, okay, cool, whatever, we'll send somebody. Um, and it turns out what happened, now I understand this better, is that they didn't send Cahoots. Something I said had, like, registered him as a threat. And they just sent a cop. And the cop finds him on the street, like, yanks him off the street, slams him into the police van, handcuffs him. And, like, he's already distraught, right? Yeah. He's like, and then just holds him, and the cop calls me back and, like, uh, he doesn't seem like a threat. We, I can't keep him. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, what? Because I thought that there was going to be somebody that came and, like, talked him down or therapy or whatever. I didn't really know what was going to happen. Right? But not that. But not, not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, like, f- basically physically assaulted, handcuffed, when he's already, like, super upset. And then, so they just release him into the wild after totally escalating him. Oh, yeah. Right? And now I don't know where he is. I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm totally freaked out. Now he's off feeling even worse. And thank God he did come home. Right? However, he came home mostly because he was mad that I'd called the cops on him. So he basically came home to yell yell at me a bunch about having called the cops on him, which was not my intention. So, like, in this situation, a situation that was, like, you know shitty turn into a situation that could have been potentially deadly had a certain few other different things happened, right? I mean, one, um, he could have been deemed a threat early on, and if we had been, you know, if he'd been black or if he'd been louder or whatever, maybe they would have just shot him. That's a thing that happens in America. Yeah. So that could have happened, one. Two, he could have been released and then immediately gone and killed himself. That's a totally believable scenario. Or three... Um, if we had been in a physically abusive situation, he could have come home and killed me. Like, luckily, we weren't at that point or anything, and he's a sweet guy, but that's the thing, is that he was so mad about having the cops called on him because it's such a, like, horrific experience. I've never seen him like that. I had never seen him like that, so I can only imagine that somebody in a position similar to me, who's in a worse situation, in, like, a physically abusive situation, would have, that interaction with the cops would have put me at serious risk. So it's like, and I didn't even want them there. And, like, that's the kind of thing where it's like, that's only, you know, one personal interaction that is, like, you know, I'm white. And, you know, luckily everything turned out just fine. But people, especially sort of in my demographic and middle class and stuff, don't ever see or understand how cops just always seem to make situations worse. You know what I mean? Like, you were talking about that, how they just pretty much inevitably always escalate a situation, right? It's because they all, they just, they want action. Like, that's why so many people join the police force, is because they see, they watch TV, they see these, like, cops busting down doors, catching bad guys. So they go into it with this idea of, yeah, I gotta be a badass. I get to be this, like, badass TV cop. And then... They try to find excitement, in, for lack of a better term, in these situations. And, you know, if they can't find it, they'll create it. Or they'll act as if there's some excitement in the situation, even though it's completely unjustified. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he was walking down the street being probably quietly stormy upset, and that requires you to, like, physically restrain. Like, it's just, like, so yeah. over the top. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Why do so many people... I think maybe like, liberals and people who are not haven't ever seen the cops in action in the way that they suck in action. Yeah. Um, it's scarier to think of a society that is out of control and can't imagine how, it, you know, assuming that cops are doing the thing that supposedly society needs them for, how do you manage that? I and mean, that's a question. When I say I'm an anarchist, people all the time are like, well, what, how do you do? What do you do if you don't have cops? You know? survive a lot better <laughs> like i <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 it's that's the thing it's sort of the thing is like well what else you, you know we all we can't do anything else about it so what you're gonna do it's like if something is really really going working badly and or like not working or deadly like actually literally killing people then um the question is not like well, we don't have another option. The thing is, like, well, we need to fucking do something different immediately because it's, like, such a privileged thing to be like, oh, well, yeah, but what else, what's you gonna do? Like, what else are you gonna do? Like, you don't need, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you, obviously not this. Yeah, <laughs> like, this not this. <laughs> we need to figure something out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. How do you, I mean, how do you educate people? Like, what? Um, well, I try to kind of just tackle it from the most straightforward perspective that I can. Just being like, alright, so the Founding Fathers were terrible people. They were giant assholes. They're the ones who built this society. They're the ones who laid the foundation for this society. And when you build on that, the rest of it is going to be tainted by that no matter what. Yeah, yeah. I try to... Whenever I try to educate people, I try to, like, provide resources and, like, kind of point them in the right direction. And the only way that works is if they're willing. Mm. And, like, I can't make them willing... I'm, I'm brown. Like, they're not going to want to listen to me. Like, I'm not a relatable character for them. Hmm. The only way they know black people or brown people is, like, by racist caricatures in the media. And, like, that's not me. So, obviously, they're not going to listen to me because I'm not talking about fun stuff. I'm not talking about it being lit. I'm not talking about partying. I'm not talking about drug shit or whatever they like to portray us as. Hmm. So... They're not going to listen to me. That's why I like to have, I like to kind of point white allies in the directions and then have those white allies do the legwork. Because A, I'm tired, and B, it won't make any difference if I do it. Hmm. I hear that a lot, just I'm tired, because it's just... Yeah, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I am constantly exhausted of having to defend my humanity at every point. And I'm just tired. So y'all do y'all do that work. I I know that it doesn't work for me to do it. 
and I'm not going to further exhaust myself for a fruitless effort. So, but I do, that's why I, like, have other, that's why I try to, like, like, whenever I, um, kind of, like, I'll do, um, I've done a gender sensitivity, well, not, like, gender sensitivity training, but, like, I was on a panel for, um, a bunch of mental health professionals who wanted to learn about navigate about how non-binary people navigate the mental health um industry so i'll i try to hold like little i don't like calling them trainings because like you can't you don't you don't train someone to be decent like (laughs) Yeah, I, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable that, like, decency has to be trained. Mm. But I'll do little, I guess, seminars mm. about um, racism and, like, gender-based discrimination, especially towards trans people. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm fine with holding those is because the only people who go to them are the people who are actually willing to hear about it and are willing to learn from it. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just, I'll like tell a few people, organize a place, and then I'll do something. Or people are more than welcome to call me and be like, hey, I'll give you like 50 bucks if you will talk to these people about... basic decency (laughs) should i be paying the people that come on my show that's a good question i don't know i don't have any funding right now but if that's and that's something i should think about i mean yeah that would be a really good thing to think about especially for like people of color because like Mm -hmm. this is stuff that we talk about all the time and it's stuff that we're constantly thinking about yeah but yeah, like, I mean, I'm just doing it because I, like, wanted to. And <laughs> I'm really glad to have you here. <laughs> me too. I'm glad. I love doing little interviews like this. I love having... It's very, very beneficial to have a platform. Because one thing I like saying is um, a lot of people like to talk about... Um, um, speaking, like, you gotta speak up for people of color. Like, no, you don't. You just have to pass the mic. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I really like platforms like this. That was one of the ideas of this show is to, you know, anarchists, no platforming, making sure that we, people that we don't want to have a platform don't. And then I'm thinking, you know, we also want to be doing plat- just active platforming of people that we do want. Yeah. Hearing in society, so, um, yeah, I'm really happy to have you on and to have other people who need a platform to have a platform. So send people my way too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah, it'd be cool if like every time we took a Nazi took away a Nazi platform, we gave that platform to like a trans person of color. Yeah, that would be tight. Yeah, it'd be really cool. 
a lot of uh, one really great kind of cyber activism thing that's happening is like a lot of Nazis are losing their websites and their domains. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, the Stormfront one. There's a just a, a um, in, at Antifa United had a screenshot or something of the Stormfront DNS server being down. That's just been going around everywhere because yeah. it's so satisfying to just look at this blank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you yeah it's great it's so great yeah it's cool how the digital community is finally kind of stepping up to take away these platforms um yeah yeah so that's good we talk a lot about meeting more like what other what other kind of platforms are there that need to be given um Media on the internet is probably the most important one because that's the most furthest reaching and the most impactful and the one with, like, like I said, most impactful, the one with the most viewers. Like, everybody goes on the computer and, like, reads a thing on CNN or, like, yeah. everybody has their favorite podcast that they go and download. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Internet media is very, very important. Social media has played an absolutely integral role in activism, actually. Because, you know, when Facebook doesn't delete those videos, right. um, that's a big platform for people to film their experience, like physically film their experiences happening right in front of them mm-hmm. and upload it and let people watch it from their point of view. Like, actually... From their from, like, point yeah. of view. Yeah, totally. So That's powerful, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you, like, they talk, people are talking and you can hear them. So yeah. It's like it's their voice in their eyes. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't really thought of it quite like that. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Twitter's fun because you can tweet directly at people in a way. Like, some, like anybody, like any person, random person can say something clever like at the New York Times and it can go totally viral. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Fuck the New York Times. <laughs> Let's throw that in there. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, platforms. I mean, right now it's still so segregated, though. It seems like there's, like, the anarchist internet. And then there's, you know, there's, like, just, like, little pockets of information. That's the other thing. There's so much available platform. In some ways, it's become really segregated even more and so people can stay in their own bubbles and only live yeah. in their own world so like how do you like penetrate that i think there are a lot of liberals that do want to know more yeah just don't have access or know where to go you know it's like getting resources to people who do want to be like actively progressive or even like more radicalized from where they're at you know um, just like getting them resources, getting because the way our society is so stratified is like people like you probably just aren't have a harder time getting into a room with some people, you know, just like not mm-hmm. even in the same physical space. Yeah, you know, like I can't, I won't get invited or even I won't even know about things that are happening because I'm not like rich or white or any other qualifier. Which is why I like my my um, 
kind of my internet space because like it's mine and like if people want to come here and look at my stuff and like see what I have to say that's their choice and they're there because they want to be there mm-hmm. and that's why I like holding these seminars and panels because like the only people who are going to go there are the people who actually want to hear it yeah and then they're the ones who can go out and talk to other people about it yeah and they can be like look here's some resources that I learned you should use these too well, since I, the podcast goes out to sort of a interesting random group of folks, my my audience is an interesting mixture, I think, of people. Uh, like, what would you, what would you have them do? Like, if, as if this was a seminar right now, like, what are some key points to get out to the type of audience that I have on my podcast, which is a lot of white people, I think. Yeah. And, like, a lot of people who are sort of new to radical radical scene stuff yeah so you know honestly one of the biggest things that i can tell white people right now is confront your racist family members like i don't care that you're gonna ruin thanksgiving people's lives are ending like like your uncle chad if your uncle chad says something super transphobic call him out on it like you're not in a, you're in a position where like that doesn't affect you as a human. Mm -hmm. Like you, it doesn't affect your humanity. Like go for it. Like do that work. Cause like, if we have to shoulder what comes from that type of thinking, you can shoulder your family blaming you for ruining Christmas. Like it's, it's an easy thing to do. And it's one of the quickest things to do. And they're people, they're your family. I don't know everybody's family dynamics, but they're your family. And you need to cut their oppressive behavior right at the root as soon as it happens. Mm -hmm. Because that is what violence, physical, real world violence is rooted in. Mm -hmm. Whether you want to draw that connection or not. It doesn't matter if you draw that connection or not because it exists. Yeah. Like, it it exists whether you believe it or not. Yeah. So. It's weird. I have a couple uncles who are seemingly very progressive in lots of ways and then are really transphobic. Yeah. I, it's. <laughs> yeah. Ruin Easter. Yeah. F- fuck up Thanksgiving. <laughs> go for it. Like, go for it. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I will. I will. Like, I mean, with how many family gatherings I've ruined with my, like, foreign Indian family, like, go for it. You'll be <laughs> fine. You'll be fine. And then, because your family, it might actually sink in. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. <sighs> yeah. It's one of the, it's, it's one of the things as a, um, I try to remember as a white activist, as like a white radical, is that Sometimes when I feel scared or feel uh, like something's really hard to do or uncomfortable, it's like, yeah, but imagine just what, how I'm feeling versus how somebody who's being directly affected by this is actually feeling, you know, staying humble in that mind space. Like, yeah, if if I feel like afraid right now, it's like, I don't know anything about fear. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it's just speaking to my white audience about doing that kind of thing and feeling uncomfortable. It's like, just that's just always remember that what you're 
comparatively your uncomfort level is to what the, what other people are that um, that you're you know standing up for are feeling. Yeah. You know. It's really important to have that perspective. Yeah. Like a perspective of if this is how I'm feeling, imagine how other people who are who are actually fit real world affected by this. Mm-hmm. The allyship industrial complex is something that I was reading up a little bit on. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your thoughts? Um. Yeah, I mean, they're very basic thoughts. Like, it just, it's something that, once again, rewards white mediocrity. Like, these white people get paid thousands of dollars to just be like, hey, gay rights. And then, boom, they're like $3,000. Who, just by like speaking fees or yeah just like speaking fees by um donations mm. all that stuff like they just they it it glorifies white mediocrity yeah there's a lot of people who with good intentions a lot of white people liberal people with money with good intentions that just want to throw their money at something and they then it seems it gets thrown at other white people yeah like no if you like and that's the thing like if you have money and you really want to help like my venmo is petty mcbetty go for it (laughs) like (laughs) like that's honestly the best way to help people is like like oh lord there was this person oh i don't i don't know if he's gonna listen to this podcast but um he was like hey i have a bunch of like leftover money this month um what's a good disability charity that i should donate to and i was like are you fucking kidding me dude like there's your roommate who's a disabled woman there's me there are like actual Disabled people who can't make money that need money to survive that you should be giving your money to. And you honestly have the balls to ask on social media about charities that you can donate to. Like when you could just easily find people on your Facebook friends list within your community that need that help. Mm-hmm. Like that is on some real bullshit. That's what people are saying, too, about right now, the donations for Hurricane Harvey. People's giving all of their money to these big NGOs that have huge amounts of overhead costs. And then it's like, if you gave, you know, any portion of that to people who are actually just directly on the ground or actually affected, like, how much good could be done if that money just got directly to people who needed it? And that's the thing. Literally, all you have to do is Google Hurricane Harvey, you caring. Hurricane Harvey, GoFundMe, and you can find families who've set up these donation sites, Mm -hmm. and you can donate to them directly. Mm -hmm. Or there's, like, actual community organizations that are just actual community that are on the ground doing actual things. Yeah. Instead of these 
giant administrative fee based groups. It's yeah. Just people know the name Red Cross, but that's exactly it. In this day and age, it's like, you know, before, before internets and GoFundMe and all these things, maybe you needed to give money to the Red Cross because they're the ones who knew how to put money places. But at this point, it's like you really literally can just hand money to the people who need it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what I want to start doing with So Just. Yeah. Is I want us to kind of be like, like, I want people to donate money to us so that we can distribute it to people in our community with need. Yeah. And that's one thing that I talked about at that potluck. Mm-hmm. Is, like, I want to start, I want to, like, open up donations for So Just to a community fund mm-hmm. to give to people in need or to, like, use it to buy food for people in need or to buy clothes for people in need and all like whatever people in our community that are most marginalized need i think that's a good idea the i think that one of the reasons people don't want to do that and just like give out money is because it's not vetted and they're worried about scammers which is a real thing oh yeah you know what i mean so it's like we need need somebody some sort of intermediary that they trust to vouch for where that money is going. So mm-hmm. I guess people go to, like, the Red Cross, because they know that, well, I know the Red Cross. I, they I, they will do good things with that money, supposedly. You know what I mean? So um, how do you, you know, how do we gain the trust of people with money so they don't feel like they're being scammed? You know yeah. I mean? Like, that's that's kind of the one of the difficult problems you know people just will trust the big name yeah and honestly i don't know how to get them to trust us yeah hmm. i guess like the more people that work with like for so just case specifically is i guess the more people who work with us the more people will spread word about it and be like hey these people are actually doing some pretty good work so help them well, I think this is where people with privilege need to step in, too. It's yeah. because, like, people do listen to me, you know, because I have, I have privilege, you know, um, I'm white and middle class, and that privilege shows up in different ways more than just the way I look, but also in sort of can be the way I talk or approach people or whatever. Like, there's all different types of privilege. And, and so other people in the same position as me can work as intermediary vouchers for these groups. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I hope other people will do that, you know? Because yeah. it works. It's, um... It works. Yeah. yeah, that's part of allyship work. Yeah. Using your privilege to get other people on board who otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I guess it's so maybe a good allyship thing to do would be to find is fundraising really yeah yeah definitely yeah because like nobody wants to give money to like a poor brown 20 something well, i mean they do just through a rich white person but then they're not donating it to the poor brown person in their mind they're donating it, they're donating it to a well-known trustworthy white person because right that's they're right. obviously going to trust white people with their money more than they would trust me right like which is just how it works like that it's part of the insidious system yeah it's pretty unsexy i think fundraising 
feels unsexy to people. So That's like, also true. There's no appeal to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be fun. I don't know. I've had, I've, I think I want to do some more fundraising type work. I had some fun doing some fundraising recently for, um, um, the Rose City Antifa did a thing based in the Rex gig and Rex model, which now is taking off, which is cool. I'm seeing it more places, which is great. I'm glad they're the, that's, they're the first person or group that I saw do something of that. And now I'm seeing other, other people around the country do this, which is awesome. It's the idea of making oppression backfire via putting a dollar amount on racist activity. Oh. Right? So, like, it came from this little town in Bavaria where Hitler is from that has major Nazi problems. And they had these, like, Nazi marches go regularly, like, once a year, the same Nazi march. So what Rex Gig and Rex did is they set up, um, uh, meant, like, a... Um, sponsorship. So people would sponsor a Nazi per meter that they walked. <laughs> so like, Oh boy. <laughs> so it's like, so then every meter that meters that the Nazi walked, they were actually raising money to fight Nazis. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then it was actually really funny. So they like put out markers and like they did all this encouragement for the marches and like the Nazis had no idea what was going on. They're like giving them bananas. <laughs> 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 so, and they raised a shitload of money and it was like really fun. So they did manage to make fundraising, like, fun, which I think is something that we need to do. And so, like, um, Rose City and Tifa, they did a thing where um, they were raising money for the National Network of Abortion Funds, and they did that by going to a Joey Gibson rally, and every time they saw them do some sort of fashy creep thing, people pledged to donate a dollar amount for every time there was something fashy that went on at a Joey Gibson rally. And there turned out to be like 50 things or something and they raised almost $700. And um, yeah, it was cool. Cool. And I think that kind of thinking and that kind of model and being uh, creative with the fundraising, it can actually be fun. Like it doesn't have to be a total drag. If you're doing it in sort of the liberal model of just sort of like asking people for money or trying to like, you know, be like, you are shame people trying to coerce or shame people into giving money. All we know is anarchists, shaming and coercion don't work. People don't like that, and people resist it, and people don't want to think about it. But I think there's a moment here right now where we have a lot of people who are genuinely good-hearted liberals that have cash that don't know what to do with it. Like, if we can be clever and make it fun, we can get that cash into revolutionary spaces and back into the pockets of people of color. You know, if we can, like, be, not just look at fundraising as, like, an obnoxious capitalist thing, even though it is, but see it as, it's kind of a necessity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we really do need to be doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially people who have connections to the liberal community, white people, are the ones that need to be taking up the reins of doing what could be really unsexy work of getting money, getting money to the people who need it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's really important. Yeah, I mean, you don't get a big, it seems like, you know, you don't get, like, a big allyship star for that, because it's just, like, you didn't, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't seem as fun, but I think that doesn't matter. So, so, like, if so, just needs, I don't know, and I think it can be fun. Yeah. 
I want. I would love to find a way to do a fun, do a like fun fundraiser with Sodust. Yeah, you should. We should figure something. Yeah, that's something I should look into. Yeah, no, I'd love to work on that. I'm like way into it. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Um, we have like ten minutes left. Is there anything else that like that you want to get out to the world or anything you want to talk about? It's your platform. Talk about whatever um, you want. I kind of just want to repeat myself. Um, one of the biggest ways of fighting these oppressive structures is by calling it out when you see it. Mm-hmm. Call it out and educate as soon as you see it. Like I, like I tell I tell all my white friends: ruin Christmas, ruin Thanksgiving, turn it into a, a hellfire. <laughs> okay. D- raise hell. I don't care. It's too late. Like, y'all wasted enough time. Like, people are dying now. People are getting assaulted now. Call it out. Nip it in the bud. That's that's where all of this shit stems from. So you gotta cut it right then and there. Doesn't matter. Ruining Christmas isn't as bad as a trans woman getting bashed because a dude found out she was trans at the end of a date. Yeah. Like. It's like people don't see that being like, well, you know, my racist uncle said an off-color joke connected to, like, police brutality and murders. But it's the same, like, underlying. Yeah, it's this, it's what, it's just an offshoot of the same system. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my final thought. Ruin every family holiday. Okay. Just okay. fuck it up. Fuck it up. <laughs> fuck it up. Fuck shit up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do have more time. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Are you done? I'm done. Also, my throat is starting to hurt. Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> I, am, I am done. Okay, cool. I have said pretty much everything I need to say. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be in touch. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we have reached the end of the show, which means it's time to count up my own instances of bad allyship to donate money to Aneka. I found 14, which included six times interrupting them, five times centering myself to general insensitivity, and I'm count that last one as one performative allyship because I didn't need to say that on the radio. That means the suggested donation is $14, so white people... Their Venmo is at Petty McBetty, and their square cash is dollar sign Tupac's hologram. So go ahead and take whatever your pledge amount was, times it by 14, and go cough it up. And remember, think about every time that you have been knowingly or unknowingly racist, transphobic, or ableist. Consider that, and don't be cheap. I am giving you full permission to pour all of your guilt into Aneka's bank account. Okay, thank you so much. See you next week.